Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We are going to reminisce uh, what happened in 2021 in the oil and gas sector. And now that we are clearly on year 2022, there's a lot to discuss. So look forward to having my co-host on here shortly to give you the good, the bad of what happened in 2021 in the oil and gas sector, as well as what we can expect for 2022. But first, before I bring on David, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our cover was Heidi Gill, the CEO of Urban Solutions Group out of Colorado. She's a dynamic woman doing some amazing things in Colorado. I highly encourage you to go to shellmag.com, click on the digital link, it's free, and read all about her and all of the other amazing stories that we featured in this issue of Shell Magazine. And I'd also like to invite you to attend our mixer that's coming up in Houston, Texas on February 2nd, 2022 at the beautiful Houston Club, downtown Houston. The mixer is scheduled for a luncheon. It's 11.30 to 1.30. Our keynote speaker is Chairman Wayne Christian of the Texas Railroad Commission. We will be joined by our panel to include Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy, Phil Anderson, Vice President of Enbridge, Bruce Bullen, Vice President of Argus Media, and our moderator will be the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Sean Strawbridge. This is going to be a very well-attended luncheon, so I encourage you to go to shellmag.com, click on the banner, and purchase tickets now. If you'd like to sponsor the event, there is still sponsorship available once again. The date is set for February 2nd, 2022, the Houston Club in beautiful downtown Houston, Texas, 1130 to 1.30. You don't want to miss it. Great networking opportunity and great opportunity to meet the CEOs of these different companies that will be in attendance and participating with our luncheon. And now I'd like to bring on my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and I'm so excited about this show because it's, when was the last time you and I actually had a show together where it was just you and I talking and catching up on everything energy? It's, it's, it's been, been a long, long time since we did this. It may have been a year. <laughs> I think we were doing some of these shows when it was COVID time right. and it was a little bit of a panic and we couldn't get people into studio and so we started to do our own show and create our own uh, way of talking about oil and gas. And I think it worked pretty good, but I'm also very happy to have our guests back on. And join it's always us on good to have good guests, yeah. For our listeners who always follow in the Oil Patch Radio Show, there is one thing that you and I really enjoy very much, and that is talking oil prices. <laughs> Obviously, because it's a whirlwind, always going up and down, up and down, up and down. But a year ago on the show, you predicted that the price of West Texas Intermediate would finish the year at about $75 per barrel. And thanks to a 2% drop on the last trading day of the year, it closed WTI at $75.13 a barrel. 
you actually only missed it by 13, 13 cents. cents yeah. And I think that, that you know, the, the traders should hire you <laughs> to kind of give them because they're always struggling with what is the right price. And you seem to always find a way of coming up pretty much dead on what's going to be happening. So what's your secret and how are you going to, how are we going to get you to take credit for that? <laughs> well, you know, the traders, I think, uh, tend to overreact number one to changing market conditions and tend to overthink things. Um, uh, you know, when, when some people, uh, analysts are, are, are making predictions and, it, it, you know, it's, I don't always get it right, but uh, yeah, this last year I got it right on and, uh, and it wasn't really that hard to predict that, frankly, we were going to have higher oil prices in 2021, uh, just because of the way that uh, demand was just storming back at the first of last year. Um uh, well faster than the experts were predicting and you could just see it coming and so so yeah i happened to get it right on the nose i haven't i'm not sure i've ever gotten it quite that accurately uh in the past but uh it's it kind of gratifying to get it once. right 13 cents that's it yes um you know if there's <laughs> anybody out there listening <laughs> that want to hire david blackman um <laughs> let's talk about 2022 because this is going to be another interesting year. Um, IHS market, Daniel Jurgen, who's been a guest on our show before in the past, is predicting an amazing return, yeah. uh, that it is going to be better than ever in some ways. And, uh, I, you know, do you agree? What, where, where are your feelings on 2022? Yeah, I, so it, it kind of depends on, on how you define better, of course. I mean, uh, Dan, um, and he's brilliant, um, just really, I think, the smartest Smartest guy in the energy industry, frankly. Um, and yes, he's predicting strong prices and, and you know, that the shale business might uh, be able to increase domestic production here in the United States by a million barrels a day mm. during 2022. And I think um, that's likely uh, to frankly be the case. Uh, we just still, you know, I, we have this narrative, and you and I talk about it a lot, um, this narrative about the energy transition and how we're going to stop using oil and gas and, and you know, start um, using wind and solar and power generation and electric vehicles. And, and those, those energy sources are growing, but demand for oil uh, globally uh, continues to, to grow very rapidly and is going to continue to grow very rapidly. With, with the caveat that we always have to give, uh, you know, unless there is another uh, variant of this virus that turns out to be much more severe than what it looks like Omicron is, um, you know, you could always have a, a pullback in the economy because of that. But all things being equal, I, I just think it's another year a lot like 2021 when the price is going to end up at the end of the year substantially higher than it is right now, probably around $85 a barrel, I would, I would guess. And at some point during the year, I think we'll probably see a $100 oil price uh, right around the first of summer as uh, we, we go into summer driving season and all that, and demand really ramps up in the United States. So I, it's, it's going to be a strong year uh, for prices. And 
I'm not sure that's necessarily great for, for our domestic industry here. I'm, mm -hmm. I think once you get above $75 a barrel, you're really, you know, creating a danger of, of creating demand destruction for, for mm -hmm. oil. Right. And, and so I, it, it's not all positive when, when prices go this high, but uh, it's kind of hard to see that not happening. Well, let me just change gears a little bit because we are just coming off of uh, an event that happened, the World Petroleum Congress in Houston, the 23rd World, World Petroleum Congress. And I'm curious, you know, it was very obvious that these were the largest energy companies uh, in the world. Um, and of course, countries that are supporting the net zero march. And that right. was pretty much everywhere that everyone is pledging to do their part. Some are pledging to lower admissions, some are looking at ESG, some are looking at how do we get to a net zero and making that promises. And some are just saying, you know, we're going to lower decarbon and, you know, just kind of, I guess, change where they're not just so focused on oil or natural gas, but also renewables. So you see all kinds of changes occurring. But one thing was very clear in that conference, and that is that they are trying to make these transitions, or at least they're verbally saying it. But with what's happening with demand, still yeah. very much in oil and gas. I wonder when when uh, the general perception starts catching up with, it sounds really good and, and, and I believe they probably are on that path, but it isn't gonna happen very, it's not gonna happen as quick as I think the general public thinks. Right. So how do you see this transition playing out for these operators and, and companies, even service companies that are projecting, yeah. we're gonna do this, how long uh, before the general public really uh, starts seeing that change. Well, I mean, I you know, I it, we're going to see the change. These are all things these companies need to be doing because we do need to uh, clean up the emissions from from the oil and gas industry. Um, that's all good, and and these are all very positive developments at, at these big companies and the small companies too. Um, but what you're not going to see is is some ten year transition in which we get rid of internal combustion engine cars and mm -hmm. stop using uh, natural gas and power generation. And, and it's gonna be a decades long process. And, and I have to be honest, uh, I don't think we ever have a full transition. I don't, I don't think wind and solar are capable of, of filling that void in power generation. And I, we're already seeing uh, real problems for the electric vehicles industry sourcing their critical minerals. Um, the price of lithium went up 477% during mm -hmm. 2021. <laughs> and so it's, it's just not going to happen the way the news media claims it is. And, and we all need to just realize this is going to be a very, very long process. Correct. That's why people should listen to our show because we're correct. Nationally, we are correct. So yes. <laughs> you can always get the truth here. We've had, we were talking about, you know, crude pricing right now, the, the actual, you know, oil pricing. There's the other part of it, which we always say oil and natural gas. Natural right. gas has also been on a transition itself, completely different. And a lot of that has to do with what's happening uh, globally 
uh, other than uh, what's happening here in the United States. So when we get back from break, I want to talk a little bit about the natural gas prices because that too is, there's a great story there too of transitions yeah. and things that are happening as well that most people probably don't understand well, why and how, what, why are these prices going up and what's affecting it? And then of course, most importantly, they know that they can expect that their, you know, gas prices will go up at the pump on oil prices. They're not familiar probably with that natural gas prices when they go up. You're going to also see an increase, but those are usually in your utility bills and in other places as well. Right. So, David, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to break that down for us. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. We're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. I'm your host, Kimball Otto, along with my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, before the break, we, we discussed oil prices and, of course, how it affects the consumer at the pump, the gas pump. I want to switch gears now and talk about natural gas prices because they surprised everyone uh, in 2021 with the price rising quickly in September hoovering somewhere around $3.50 to $4 per MMBTU range through the fourth quarter of this year. And that was significantly higher than anyone had projected um, early yeah. last year. So how much did the energy crisis that's happening in Europe impact the prices here? And then also help us to understand with these prices going up, what does it impact us here in the United States? How are we sure. affected? Yeah, uh, it, well, you know, there is a major energy crisis brewing in Europe, and uh, just this last week, we we had uh, our, uh, a big flotilla of LNG vessels headed to Europe to try to help them out uh, with their crisis. Um, but it has had an impact, I think, on the, the price here in the United States, simply because when you look at it, we're, we're exporting now about 20% of our natural gas production. So you have created this new market for LNG um, that didn't exist five years ago. And, and it's a big market that we are now, the United States in December became the largest exporting uh, country of liquefied natural gas. So, it, it, I mean, and this was, uh, this is a very positive development, I think, for the whole country having a stronger natural gas price. Uh, in the United States, but not too strong, you know, in this 350 to $4 range, uh, natural gas is still very affordable. Um, but it, it does raise our utility bills to some extent, you know, the, the price has gone up 20%. So I think everyone's going to see higher utility bills here in Texas, for example, because mm -hmm. we get so much electricity from natural gas. And, um, uh, but, 
it, it, you need this stronger price to continue drilling for the product and be sure that we have plentiful supply of it, uh, you know, going through the winter here this year and uh, to have, continue to help supply the rest of the world uh, through LNG exports. Right. And, you know, a lot of, uh, of our fans who either text in, call in or email us are, you know, discussing how how happy they are, especially the mineral right owners that have had natural gas pretty stagnant and low for mm -hmm. years. They're like, yes, we love this. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, energy crisis in Europe. You mentioned that, you know, we're talking about that. And of course, our old friend from uh, Sergio Chapa, who used to be with the San Antonio Business Journal and has right. really been a great writer for the industry, who's now with Bloomberg, congratulations to him, has been tracking the number of LNG tankers heading from the U.S. to Europe. And he's identified no fewer than 49 moving in that direction as of January 1. And yeah. I mean, this is the first week of January. Um, and when I say this, I mean this in a friendly way. But a lot of Europe's problems that they're facing now is because they went all in on renewables and doubled down on all of these green things and kind of really didn't in, um, invest in any continued progress in the oil or natural gas and now it almost appears as though are we going to save them once again yeah. because from themselves for their policies and is it something we should be paying attention to here oh yeah i mean this is a big deal uh, europe desperately needs this natural gas their their wind industry has uh, really failed them uh, uh, countries like germany and belgium uh, Great Britain and others, um, it has really failed to, to produce the electricity they need. And as, as we get into the depths of winter, they desperately need this natural gas. Their reserves are critically low because Russia has not been supplying what they need via pipelines from, from the east. And uh, because Germany stupidly continues to hold up uh, the permitting for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that would result in a lot more gas coming in from Russia. So, right. so we're having to try to fill that void. And, you know, I wrote last week that this was the largest flotilla of United States ships with a goal of saving Europe from its own follies uh, since D-Day. And, and that's true. And it's yeah. sad because it didn't mm -hmm. need to happen. Well, wasn't a lot of this put into motion when Angela Merkel I remember when we had mm -hmm. President Trump, he was pretty upset with like, why would you rely on Russia yeah. for these and sign these agreements as opposed to the United States? And 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 lo and behold, he was right again. And um, here is the aftermath right. of what's happening as a result of that. Um, but it also, though, is putting, I think, the United States in a very strong position with our LNG uh, tankers and market as well. So, oh, yeah, in some it's, ways, I mean it's great for us, you know, in our industry here in the United States. Angela Merkel, you mentioned her, she's responsible more than anyone else, any other single person for the, the craziness that okay. has happened in Europe uh, related to wind and natural gas. Uh, they, in Germany, early in her term in 2011, they kicked off this, what they called the energy wind project in which they were went about retiring a bunch of gas and coal plants and, and built thousands and thousands of windmills. Mm -hmm. And 
thinking that you could just rely on wind for all your electricity and you can't. And, and this is the consequence of it. And unfortunately, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but uh, we, we've seen California head in that same direction here in the United States. And I'm a little worried about Texas, you know, right. treading down that path as well in our grid. Well, I, I do think that the legislators are, are understanding the problems that they've created by not continuing to have a balanced yeah. approach. And I think it seems that, that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I think it's I think it's gotten to them that wind and solar is not the only path we should be taking. When we come back from break, I want to get on uh, the topic of or you know energy, uh, climate change, and a couple of past interviews that we had throughout the year and bring those back up and talk about that. But we gotta take a quick break. You're listening to and the Wolf Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. You're listening to and the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, our show today is dedicated to reminiscing everything oil and gas in 2021 and also hopefully projecting what can we expect in 2022. I want to bring us back, though, to a former guest that we had on the show. Um, he's a energy and climate change author, Michael Schellenberger, yeah. um, as you remember. Great uh, interview with him, and he really put a lot of things uh, in, you know, in my mind, he really checked off a lot of the boxes of things that just didn't make sense to me about how I remember one was many of the journalists who write uh, that seem to be so anti-oil and gas were actually uh, activists against oil and gas and turned into journalists, <laughs> and I was like, that makes sense now, right. but he noted in Bloomberg uh, that or noted that Bloomberg has finally admitted that the main contributor to Europe's energy crisis has been what everybody has known their uh, you know irrational premature efforts to force the energy transition from fossil fuels to wind power and with Bloomberg now recognizing that this is the reality um, how do you see you know the European policies changing in these countries I mean they're in it right yeah. now they're they're Citizens are up in arms. Uh, they're spending a whole lot more money than they have to. And because it's getting global coverage, their citizens now understand the wrong turn that their elected officials made. How do they address this now? Yeah, I mean, people need to understand that, you know, as much as we complain about electricity prices here in Texas and the United States, in Germany, they're paying three to five times as much for electricity as we are. Norway has, has had a 1,000% increase 
in the cost of their electricity in that country and in England is just like Germany. And so, you know, we really have it pretty good here in the United States because although the Biden administration is trying to force it now, we haven't jumped off that, that, that cliff uh, to, mm-hmm. to try to just force this radical move to wind power. And, and that is what's caused all of it. Uh, I do think it's having a starting to have a positive impact on policy in Europe. We saw last week that uh, the EU is now uh, is about to publish a policy document classifying uh, many uh, natural gas and nuclear power plant projects as green for purposes of their energy transition financing. And, and that's a huge move. That's a, an enormous change. And it's endorsed apparently by the new government in Germany. And, and so, uh, you know, when you have this kind of crisis, unfortunately, uh, it, it always seems to take a crisis like this to, to force these, these common sense changes in energy policy. And I think that's what we're starting to see now in Europe. Well, I, and I think that is really good news, and hopefully it trickles down to the United States in which we, too, can recognize that we need it all. We don't need to limit. We need it all. The yeah. demand is only going to be increasing globally, and we need every everything we can get. Let's move back to um, prices. And <clears throat> I kind of just want to, before we get into, like, where the prices and everything are going, the single most biggest thing that you think that Europe could really do besides putting them, putting, you know, renaming the umbrella of all of these different energy sources. Is there anything else that they could have done a little bit better or, or still can work on to try to help well, in this? Path? Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, Germany at the first of this year, they, they had six big nuclear power plants prior to 2021. Uh, they retired three of them during 2021, despite the fact that the wind uh, sector was failing. Um, and then at the first of this year, they went ahead with a plan to shut down the other three nuclear power plants. Uh, I, it, that's insane. That's, I know. That's so that doesn't seem insanity. wise. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's, 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 it, you have to almost, given that, you almost have to think that the German government wants there to be a crisis where electricity is concerned in its country this winter. And, and, that's just crazy. And so they, they, they just have to stop doing these irrational things like that. That's just, that's just nuts. Yeah, I would agree with you. Well, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on the uh, topic of prices and some information that came out from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. You're listening to In the Wolf Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, starting at 11.30 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for State of Energy's luncheon in Houston on February the 2nd, 2022, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy.
And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman, covering a year of 2021, all things oil and gas, and what you can expect for 2022 moving forward. David, I want to revisit uh, prices because a new report out um, at the first of this year from the U.S. Energy Information Administration finds that overall, the cost of energy commodities in the U.S. rose by an amazing 59% during 2021. And WTI was up 62%, while gas prices rose by 67% during the year. But can we blame the policies of the Biden administration for some of or all of this? Because they have been extremely busy regulating the oil and gas industry in every yeah. way possible. So is is all of this direct result of the Biden administration? I think the best thing you can say for the Biden administration is that they certainly haven't helped anything. Um, <laughs> you know, they, their, their anti oil and gas policies have certainly made the situation worse than it needed to be. It has slowed the recovery of, of the domestic industry. There's no question about that. Uh, throughout 2021, and we'll continue to slow it even more in 2022 with all these new pending reg major regulatory efforts they have that are about to start coming down from the EPA and the Department of the Interior. And, um, and, and so I think, you know, what we've seen in the United States is the consequences of having, you know, going from a pro-energy presidency, which the Trump presidency certainly was, to an anti-energy presidency, uh, which the Biden administration certainly is. And, and when I say energy, I'm talking about real energy, not intermittent wind power or uh, electric vehicles that, uh, you know, are just really kind of boutique cars for the wealthy in this country. And and yes, I mean, they, they certainly... Um, the Biden policies are certainly uh, responsible for some of that price increase. There's no question about it. They have uh, resulted in increased scarcity of both oil and gas, and uh, and that always leads to higher prices. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, you just can't you just can't absolve them of any blame here. Well, let's let's just kind of go back and talk a little bit about some common sense. So recently, there was a what, 24, 27 hour log jam in Virginia trying to get into DC because of the snowstorm and of right. course they hadn't, we weren't, they weren't uh, plowing the streets. However, there was a good article and you made a reference to it. If you had been sitting in a, in an electric vehicle, you would have really been stuck because they don't right. last that long. So, you know, the fact that you probably would have made it with a, a, a you know, a, a combustible engine would have been, you know, something to think about, but they always seem to have these unintended consequences, especially like here in Texas, when we had that big snowstorm and we were out of electricity, utilities, heating, uh, power for some people went as long as three days to a week and, yeah. and people, you know, it, this is, it's this reliance on trying to move too quickly, like you mentioned, and this administration's policies, but Let's talk about a former guest because he's making a prediction. Uh, you remember we had Daniel Jurgen. He wrote the new map um, and we had him on the show. Uh, last week, he predicted that U.S. shale 
the U.S. shell industry will be able to increase overall domestic production by 1 million barrels of oil right. per day, which you mentioned that earlier in the show. But does that seem to be consistent with the increase in U.S. rigs over the last several months? Because we've yeah. seen an increase, rather, it's an Eagle Ford, a Permian, they seem to be really uh, multiplying all over. So this is consistent. We can expect yes. more of it. Okay. Oh, definitely. I, I think you'll see the rig count, uh, the, the rate of increase actually uh, go higher uh, early this year as, as companies start executing on their, their new budgets, which are uh, pretty much every EMP company said they were going to spend more money on drilling wells this year. So I, I would expect that we're going to have some pretty significant increases in the rig count and frack crews and you know all of the ancillary industry services uh, the first quarter of this year and uh, that'll probably continue at a slower pace through the rest of the year and so i do think uh, we'll, we'll see very significant increase increase in uh, overall production I, whether it'll be a million barrels a day uh, you know well, that's all hard to predict but we did we have to remember in 2018 the industry increased production in the United States by 2 million barrels a day in one year. So uh, it certainly would not be unprecedented to have that big a leap in production. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about the winter season. Um, it seems to be upon us. Like I said earlier in the show, we remember that uh, Texas Power Grid did not do so well when we received a really pretty heavy snowstorm. Um, so I guess that coal snap, um, we're having one again. How do you see us holding up yeah. um, this year? I mean, I know that the Texas legislators have grappled with that there's some changes. And I want to get into Governor Abbott's after the break, Governor Abbott's uh, suggestion that we're going to be fine. But my yeah. question to you is, are we holding up uh, currently right now? Yeah, I, you you know, we did have that a pretty significant cold snap right at the first of the year, three days when the Temperatures were in the 20s up here in North Texas anyway, and, and frozen most of the state, and uh, the, the grid did fine. That certainly was not nearly as severe an event as what we had last February. Um, but, you know, I mean, everything everything was good. We, we uh, I think, saw good results from the weatherization that's taken place at some of the power plants. And with a lot of the natural gas infrastructure, uh, there was some hyperbolic reporting about natural gas supply dropping down during the coldest of, uh, of those days. But that, that's always going to happen. The, the key question is, it certainly, number one, was not as severe a drop as we saw last February. And number two, the, the key question that, that the reporting at the Texas Tribune and elsewhere didn't get into was any of that that production that went down was any of that related to the power grid and I don't think it was and and nobody complained about not having enough supply and and the lights all stayed on so you know uh, it was a good at least first test I think for the winter right when we get back from break I want to get on the topic of Governor Abbott. Um, he has made a couple of statements pertaining to are we prepared or not. But we got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Show Magazine. David, this show was dedicated to recapping what happened in 2021. Some of the more notable guests that we've had on the show, some of the um, discussions that occurred, and some of the things that happened. Um, yeah. You know, we went through what what I like to call Snowgate. It was a very large snowstorm <laughs> that took out the power here in Texas for for some people three days, for some people seven days. And it was a complete catastrophe. Many, some people lost their lives. So it definitely was not a good snowstorm. Um, Governor Abbott, though, has repeatedly stated that he absolutely can guarantee that the Texas grid will not fail this winter. So if we have a huge snowstorm like we did, he's kind of saying, we've got this. We know what we're doing, yeah. regardless of what kind of weather. And, and my question to you is, and this is not critical of him. I'm just curious, are your thoughts, do we really have this? I mean, I know that they've worked closely with the Texas Railroad Commission. They learned some things that they shouldn't have done by shutting down pipelines and stuff, how they froze that led from one bad problem into another bad problem that got worse. But yeah. those things, yes, they 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 saw them, they, they, they fixed them. We probably won't have those issues again. But really, really, are you confident that he that he can really you know, we get a really bad snowstorm. Are we going to see something differently than the last well, time? Uh, you know, I I think it's extremely risky for him to be going out there and saying he guarantees uh, because the, it's such a complex thing and, and so many things can go wrong. Uh, I think that we can all say that um, the, the grid's in a better place than it was going into last winter. Um, we certainly... Uh, we'll not see the failures of natural gas supply on the grid that we saw last February, but we still have an over-reliance on renewables. And, and the reality is this, we have to recognize that, that wind power is 30% of the capacity on our grid right now. And the wind industry's own spokesman uh, during the, the hearings uh, after that horrible disaster last year, told a legislative committee that wind performed exactly as it was designed to perform during that event. Well, wind was the first to drop off the system. Mm -hmm. wind, wind power went down to virtually nothing as those cold fronts started coming in after, you know, and, and so natural gas ramped up and, and it's ERCOT's own data that proves this. And so if we have another weather event like that, Wind is again going to be the first to drop off the system. 
and solar will follow because that's what they're designed. They don't perform during severe weather. They just don't. And we all have to, what I worry about, I continue to worry about is this, this tendency uh, among these political figures and these, these regulators to virtue signal about wind and solar because it's the touchy feely thing and continue to over rely on them uh, as you know, instead of a reliable baseload on our power grid. And we still have a shortage of, of dispatchable uh, uh, backup generating capacity. There's no question about that. That has not been addressed and it's, a, it's an ongoing issue. So those two big issues still remain, but um, you know, reality is we only have a big weather event in Texas like that about once every 10 years. So odds are pretty good that we'll get through this winter without another one. Okay. Well, and, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, when you look at these uh, wind turbines, it wasn't necessarily that the wind was not blowing. It was that they were freezing up the, the motors, right. which, by the way, you know, all these things are created by, it's a byproduct of oil and gas. And then the solar panels um, they were covered with snow and couldn't right. perform properly either. We just have to, you, know, you have to look at those things and realize it's not that they are bad at, as they're at, in their own way. It's more of, it's unfortunate that they can't handle, like you said, severe, severe right. weather, but they're not. We have to recognize mention. what their own way is. And, yes. and unfortunately, these, these regulators uh, often seem to want to pretend otherwise, and that's yeah. never a healthy thing. Yeah, they're like, it sounds good, and it's going to be great, and we'll worry about it 10 years from now when we have a major snowstorm. Yeah. Okay, let's close out the show with, we have 2022. Uh, we have a, a over uh, an administration that is really looking to regulate the oil and gas industry heavily. Um, we have a lot of uh, issues going on uh, globally, worldwide. We have the, the uh, new strand of COVID, um, what do you see? I mean, this is so topsy-turvy, I wouldn't even want to make a prediction, but <laughs> you love to, so that's fine, but because you're always pretty much correct, what is your final analysis on how good is the oil and gas industry going to do in 2022, and where do you see some holes or pockets that might be problematic? Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's going to be a strong year for the industry here in the United States just because of the commodity prices. And, and as we've talked about during the course of the show, you know, that's going to mean an increased level of drilling. We're going to drill more wells, we're going to produce more oil and gas, um, and prices are going to remain strong because demand globally is just continuing to rise exponentially almost. And, and so this will be another strong year for the industry. Unfortunately for consumers, it's going to be another year in which gasoline prices are going to keep going up uh, for the most part. There will be ups and downs, of course, but at the end of this year, gasoline prices, for example, and propane prices are going to be higher than they are as we sit here today. They just are. That's pretty much baked into the cake. And, and you know, that makes it tougher, uh, particularly on, on, you know, folks with, with, uh, with the lowest amount of income because it's essentially a regressive tax on them. And this administration is only gonna make the situation worse with all these new regulations mm -hmm. um, because they're not getting their bill passed. Of course, the Bill Back Better bill, I don't mm -hmm. think is ultimately going to be passed. And so they're gonna to try to do all this stuff they wanna do through regulations and executive orders. 
and, and that will only make the situation uh, increasingly worse for consumers. So, um, so where know, do for, they where do they think that they are going to go in a positive way? Because I see this is your voter base is the um, lower income earners that typically tend to vote. And yeah. if you are taxing them, uh, overtaxing them with utilities at the grocery store, at the pump, they're not going to be very happy <laughs> midterms. So, yeah. So, so with politicians, you know, um, uh, w- one thing we have to realize is that in the Democratic Party now, uh, this left-wing environmental group movement, uh, the climate alarm lobby, as I call it, uh, is their biggest funder of, of, of the Democratic Party. And, and so, yes, I mean, the, the climate alarm lobby's goals are in conflict with most of the Democratic Party's voters, but those voters don't fund the campaigns. And so these politicians are under tremendous pressure um, to, to do things at the behest of that climate change lobby. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I think it's going to ultimately end up making the Democratic Party uh, a clear minority party in the country because they're not protecting their main constituents. Well, David, what an amazing show. So many great things that occurred last year in oil and gas and interesting things, but we only have one show to dedicate to closing out 2021. Thank you for being my guest today and walking us through what happened and your predictions for 2022. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.